The Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. So here we are, surrounded by sticks in our uh, faux wilderness we have here. I hope you got the feeling of Lent when you walked in. We had this uh, gospel reading, which we've basically heard most of in the last month or so. In January, the baptism of our Lord, we heard the first part. And then the next week, we heard the last part. So sandwiched right in the middle, which we missed before, was Jesus being driven into the wilderness by the Spirit. So here we are, driven into the wilderness in the season of Lent. And one thing in the wilderness that we always look for are signs of God, signs of hope, and signs of promise. One of these uh, times in my own life when I was feeling like I was in a wilderness was between my sophomore and junior year of college, I was pondering, I had just spent the year delving into computer science, I had thought that math was my world in high school, and I, believe me, I'm, now I'm at a fourth grade level, so I've lost all my math skills, but I was at this point where I was thinking, do I really want to do computer science the rest of my life? Nothing wrong with that, you know, computer science for all of you, but it just didn't feel like I was connecting with it. I was doing well in class, but I didn't have the, the uh, passion for it that I, I had hoped. So there was a day during the summer where I thought, you know, this is the day when I'm going to make this decision, whether to stay with this or to go off pursuing something that will make me lots of money, like philosophy or religion. So I went to church with this in my mind, thinking, okay, I'm going to make this decision. I need a sign from God. And I was really anxious over this. And during the service, uh, at communion, all of a sudden, the pastor had the bread in his hands, and a rainbow cast through the, the uh, windows and land right on the uh, communion bread. And I thought, there's my sign. It, to me, this was just an amazing moment. And he was, look, a rainbow. And everyone else, I was like, aren't you all amazed? And they were just kind of, yeah, cool, a rainbow on the bread, whatever. But to me, that was a moment. I was like, my decision's made. And uh, that day, I, I decided I'm going to you know, switch my, my focus. And I thought I'd recommit myself to the church. And there you have it. That was the sign, this rainbow sign. So in today's story of Noah, that's why one thing I always love about this story of Noah is the rainbow sign that God gives. And when uh, they're handing out these signs and promises of these covenants, there's a covenant with Noah, Abraham, Moses. 
Um, I always feel like Abraham got the kind of the bad deal because uh, between a rainbow and circumcision, I'd probably pick a rainbow. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but the rainbow was a symbol in a lot of mythologies of, uh, of a relationship between heaven and earth. We have the bridge in Norse mythology from to Valhalla, the rainbow bridge. We have the necklace of Ishtar, Babylonian, the rainbow necklace. We have in, uh, let's see, Aboriginal and Estonian myths, there's the, cr- the rainbow creator serpent. And even in our tradition, God, Yahweh, was considered, this rainbow was considered the bow of the hunter God, in a sense. So after, you know, we hear all these nice stories of Noah's Ark with cute animals, teddy bears together, and this and that, we kind of skip over the fact that there's this flood that kills all these people. But what happens is God is sorrowful for all the evil in the world. He's grieved over the world, this creation. So he, he wants to, he, he thinks he's going to clean this creation up and start kind of, start it over, you know, with the, these eight people, with Noah and his family and, and all these animals. So we have a flood and then God decides, I'm never doing that again. This was a, a bad idea. This is a very human God we see here, changing his mind. And God takes the bow in symbol and hangs it on the rack, saying, I'm not going to use this weapon anymore. There will be no more floods. And this is where God differs from other mythologies, other flood stories, other gods who would interact with the people, you know, I don't care. Well, punish the people. But God here wants a relationship. God has sorrowed over the evil and wants to connect to the people that he created. And so God establishes this covenant. And it's a covenant that is a one-way promise, not a covenant like we often think of covenants as an agreement. God isn't relying on us to do anything in return in this covenant. God just makes this promise, this blanket promise. And it's amazing because it's cast over not only, you know, all people, pre-Israelite, just all creation, but also all the animals. There's a specific point in the scripture. And God continually says, this bow will be in the sky as a sign of remembrance to remind him. So what do we do with these covenants? How do we relate to the covenant? What's our job? I think the problem is we often focus on the signs, the rainbows. And if anyone's ever chased a rainbow, you know you can't quite get to that pot of gold at the end because it keeps going away. We'll focus on the end terms of a covenant. God has promised this. We can do what we want again. We don't have to worry about another flood. And we forget what's behind that promise, the real substance of that promise to us. That God is being gracious to all people and wants to be in relationship to all people despite whatever evils they might exhibit in the world. In Lent, we have a similar promise at the end. We have Jesus Christ 
who we hear the words in the communion, you'll hear the words today of the cup of the new covenant. This is a new covenant. And I think we do the same thing with Jesus. That we will often focus in this season on the cross and the empty tomb at the cost of the substance and meat behind all of that, the life of Jesus, the many things Jesus does. And Mark is such a great gospel because Jesus is constantly working. He's never taking a rest. It's immediately this, immediately that, immediately this. Jesus is showing what it looks like when the time is fulfilled and the kingdom has come near. Both those phrases, by the way, from Mark are uh, perfect tense phrases. So it's something that has happened but continues to happen. The kingdom has come near. doesn't mean it just at that time. In the same way that this covenant is made, this promise is given to us and continues in our lives. We often think of getting focused on the end, on the cross, in the same way that uh, I hear married couples will spend their whole time and all their money focused on creating the perfect wedding ceremony and cause great strife in the meantime and cause great debt in their lives. If there's any time in the church year that will help us focus and broaden how we think about our lives as Christians in the wilderness that we live in, it's remembering the depth behind these promises, the promise of new life we have in Christ. Certainly it feels like we're always in a wilderness, that the world wants to return to the dust it came from. But we know that that God continually breathes new life into that dust in us. If you take a, um, a prism, that's that little triangle thing, that uh, if you cast a white light into it, the light bends, and as light slows down, the various wavelengths separate, creating a rainbow. You've probably seen this before. And I often like to think of how God has related to us taking this shining white light figure of last week's transfiguration, cast through, you have to forgive me, the three-sided prism, this Trinitarian understanding of how God interacts with the world. And in Scripture, we see these many different promises, these many different signs of God's presence in the world for us. But in eternity, that pure light that we have in God ultimately doesn't rest in a single rainbow, but rests in God, God's self, coming to us in Jesus Christ. So when we gather around the meal, we have a sign for us that we know we can come to every week. 
So even if it has a rainbow cast on it or not, this is a place we know where our lives can be changed, where we meet Jesus in the community of believers gathered around the table. And in this meeting, we're strengthened and propelled forward to work our way through this wilderness, knowing that God's angels wait upon us at the end. Let's pray. God of creation, God of promises, thank you for the gift of life that we have in you. Continually remind us that you are for us and want to be in relationship with us. Help us to honor this covenant in going out into the world despite all the evils around us and embracing your creation as you have. Keep us focused on the light that you shine on all of this world and the community you have created and gathered around you to do your good work. In your name we pray, amen.